do big tobacco lobbyists and US oil tycoons have in common? No, it's not just a desire to pollute our air. The answer is an interest in promoting e-cigarettes as a smokescreen for bringing a radical right-wing ideology to the heart of Europe. The tobacco industry and the American oil tycoons have been working together since the 80s in the US to promote a common ideology. They have an interest in mobilizing people behind the idea that the government is coming to take away things from you and you should mobilize to present the front against that. Welcome to the IJ for EU podcast. I'm Timothy Large. I run the Investigative Journalism for Europe Fund at the International Press Institute in Vienna. As always, this podcast takes you behind the scenes of cross-border investigations supported by our IJ for EU Fund. Today, we're looking at The Vapor Trail, a collaboration between French daily newspaper Le Monde and Dutch reporters' collective The Investigative Desk. This transnational project exposes a secret alliance between big tobacco and networks of American oil tycoons to thwart regulations on e-cigarettes and promote laissez-faire policies that are hostile to government intervention in the European Union. I'm delighted to be joined by two journalists who were up to their necks in this investigation. Tish Kaiser, co-founder of the Investigative Desk in Amsterdam, we got quite a severe backlash of people being quite angry about these findings. And Stefan Orel, who specializes in corporate lobbying, conflicts of interest, and science manipulation at Le Monde in Paris. I started doing like these crazy maps, like in the movies, like with four sheets and uh, with a uh, scotch tape. And on the wall where you're connections. But almost, yeah, and sharing it like a crazy person to my colleagues. Welcome both to the show. It's great to have you here. Now, I'm a former heavy smoker myself. For longer than I dare to remember, you'd hardly ever see me without a cigarette in my hand. And I'm old enough to remember the days when we could even smoke in the office or on airplanes. But I, I gave up and I confess I've never actually tried vaping. But I, I do get the concept. E-cigarettes give you the experience of smoking and indeed the nicotine hit, but supposedly without all that nasty tar and the carcinogens that make tobacco so deadly. I also understand that vaping is not without its health risks, and many would like to see e-cigarettes highly regulated. So it makes perfect sense to me that big tobacco, seeing the way the wind is blowing, would do everything in its power to keep people vaping. And that means promoting it as a so-called healthy alternative to traditional tobacco as smoking rates fall around the world, particularly in much of the Western world. There's a clear logic to that business imperative. But what's surprising to me is why US oil tycoons would give a big cahoot. Why on earth are these two groups, big oil and big tobacco, getting into bed over something like vaping? What might be surprising at first is actually a very old alliance. The tobacco industry and the American oil tycoons have been working together since the 80s in the US to promote 
a common ideology, which is characterized by less government, less tax, less control on other companies, which is called libertarianism. And together they have been, at the beginning, the tobacco sought help from these these groups because they were more structured and they were looking for people to actually make grassroots movements because they didn't have many people to make grassroots movements. And the libertarian groups had people. And so there was this kind of a deal of a service provided by the libertarians, libertarian, sorry, in the, in the US to the tobacco industry to mount fake grassroots movements, get government off our backs. One of them was called like that. And this alliance uh, has been working and they have sophisticated how they interact with each other until today. What they share in interests, the oil tycoons and tobacco industry is, is as Stefan also noted, is not so much in the product of e-cigarettes itself, is more of what they represent for the consumer. And that's their freedom of choice. And as the tobacco industry likes to spin it, on the other hand, the government's trying to interfere or take away your product and your own means of shaping your life by the way in which you consume, by what you consume. So you see this alliance industry is broader than just one industry. As soon as it touches on products that are under government scrutiny at whatever level, so from alcohol to also tobacco, but also of course energy, these industries and oil tycoons, they have an interest in mobilizing people behind the idea that the government is coming to take away things from you and you should mobilize to present the front against that. One of the things that uh, you identified in your investigation is the, the use of these astroturf organizations. First of all, what is an astroturf organization and what are they trying to do? An astroturf organization, astroturf comes from uh, a brand of fake grass from, from the United States. And the term derives from the term of a grassroots movement, which means bottom-up initiatives of civilians who are concerned about a specific issue and who organize a bottom-up movement to address this issue to their local or national politicians in the hope to change something. And these are genuine bottom-up movements, but these movement, movements can also be we recreated by commercial interests, in this case, the tobacco industry, to make a fake consumer movement, to give it the appearance to the policymaker that these are uh, genuine consumers with genuine concerns. And this is called, when it's uh, so when it's a commercial uh, driven movement, then it's called astroturf. So being the opposite of a grassroots movement. And that's the most direct way to do it. What the industry also does is that they hijack exist grassroots movements. So they use that momentum to interfere with these movements and to make to shape it to their own political needs. That's also called astroturfing. But then the movement consists of both genuinely worried consumers and also professionally paid and trained agents of the industry in itself. And, and the science that they're promoting, is it genuine science or is it complete rubbish? There's the, the whole, it's a global tactic that has been developed. And the origin is, is the, the tobacco industry, which is interesting, but there's, when you are an industry selling regulated products, which means uh, products that can potentially be toxic or that are toxic by definition, like pesticides, for example, 
but uh, it concerns uh, tobacco or uh, some food products, chemicals, pesticides. All these industries have an interest in uh, counteracting independent research or uh, academic research or public research showing the toxic effects of their products. So for decades now, they have been creating sophisticated um, tactics to create, promote and uh, disseminate science that would support the defense uh, of this, their products. So it's called product defense material. And it's not something that is obvious to the public and mostly to regulators. These tactics are very subtle. Uh, how they proceed is that they, they sponsor uh, studies, scientific research. It doesn't mean that they ask for a specific result. There are many ways in which you can have the expected research that you paid for. But this research is then published in, uh, regu- in normal scientific journals and goes to peer review. And so it, it comes out with this varnish of uh, science. And so th- this research then, uh, scientific articles are put in the decision processes, whether it's at the national level or at the international level, like the EU or WHO, to support the defense of the products. And you could say regulators are not idiots. They know they can make a difference, but it's often very complicated. And this tactic has been used for already half a century, so it means it works very well. And it's called, this is to summarize what these tactics to manipulate science represent. We call them pseudo-controversies. The idea is to create the idea in the mind of the public or of the regulator that scientists don't agree uh, on the state of the science on a given product. So presumably there's a parallel with what we're seeing in the uh, pandemic with pseudo-controversies surrounding vaccines and so on. That's, I would say, a little different because what we're working on, Tis and I, and our team who's, who, who couldn't be here, is the tactics of industries that sell regulated products. Of course, you can include the pharmaceutical industry. But here uh, in the COVID situation, we were not in this situation of, of companies selling products that are uh, giving cancers or Parkinson's to or killing people by with lung cancer. It's uh, by in huge proportion. This, uh, we should never forget that tobacco kills over eight million people uh, each year. So we're not. It's really not the same situation. It's not comparable. I would say. So just to be crystal clear here, uh, is the end goal not so much to sell more e-cigarettes as an alternative to tobacco, uh, a supposedly healthier alternative, but actually to remove the regulations and create an environment in which uh, you can pretty much sell whatever you want, including tobacco. Is that what's really going on? As for the tobacco industry, their main lobbying goal over the last few decades have been has been to delay any any new policies, especially for tobacco products. So the regular tobacco products, the combustible cigarettes, it is well known how damaging they are. And then for the new products, there, there's a discussion on what role they ought to play in the aims of more and more governments each year worldwide who strive for a smoke-free generation. And by interfering with that debate and casting doubt about the harmfulness of new products, but also the, the place in policy that they should have, by casting this doubt, the tobacco industry aims and manages to delay any serious grand-scale regulation of these new products. 
I see. Now tell me a little bit about the nuts and bolts of your investigation. H- how did you uncover the, the fact that this secret lobbying was going on? How did you prove and demonstrate that both the big tobacco lobbies and but also the oil tycoons were in cahoots when it came to this astroturfing and so on? Maybe I can start it off with explaining a bit about how this research started and then when we come to the link with the oil tycoons, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to pass this baton to uh, Stefan. Sounds good. We have been investigating uh, the tobacco industry and their lobbying tactics for several years. So the main organization that was the focal point uh, of these uh, publications, which is the World Vapors Alliance, we saw that name popping up in the public debate quite regularly. And we knew that they were a big self-expressed consumer organization of, of consumers of these new products, so vaping products. But this investigation really started with a big light show in the Netherlands that was projected on the corner building in The Hague, which is the city in which our government resides. And the corner building was in the same street as our Ministry of Health. And the light show showed a large white fist, which has a large resemblance to the fist, which was also central to the Black Lives Matter movement. And in that fist is an e-cigarette. And the the hashtags which were on the light show showed texts like support, vaping, save lives, these kind of things. And we knew that there were consumer organizations in the Netherlands, but these are all very small scale, uh, seem to be genuine uh, consumer organizations who are trying to get into contact with uh, uh, Dutch politicians on the issue of vaping. And this light show, it was so surprisingly large scale and professional and the ordinary uh, compared to what these, uh, these Dutch organizations normally had for some kind of actions. And we also were a bit surprised uh, that an American organization was so concerned with Dutch policies, tobacco policies, that this is where the investigation started of just our suspicion of what are they doing here and what would they care? So then we started investigating what the World Vapors Alliance actually was and where it was situated and who it was organized by. And that led us to the consumer choice organization. It was quite funny for me to see that the World Vapors Alliance was actually a front group of the Consumer Choice Center, which is on its own also a front group. And so it's it's this kind of Russian dolls system that we, we started uncovering. One is the front group or of the front group of the AstroTurf group of another one and followed, it's not actually really follow the money. It's not, it was not such a difficult investigation in the sense that lots of, lots of uh, the information that we uh, looked for and that we found was in the open. And so after the Consumer Choice Center is a, is a libertarian organization that was set up in, it's, it was at the origin, it's a, a, a spin-off of a libertarian organization called Students for Liberty. And Students for Liberty is the youth organization of the libertarian old tycoons in the US. And I've been following what they're, what they've been doing since 2017 when they, they launched their activity in Brussels because it was obviously a new a libertarian uh, thing and uh, as I work on regulated products, it was of interest to me. And so then, when I saw the name of Consumer Choice Center in the credits of who 
found the World Vapors Alliance, uh, I, I clicked immediately on what was behind. And then it was just like, who pays the, who, who funds the Consumer Choice Center? And then we found the tobacco industry, but also libertarian organizations. And then we started drawing a map. <laughs> I started doing like these crazy maps, like in the movies, like with four sheets and uh, with a uh, scotch tape. And oh, on the wall where you drawing connections. But almost, yeah. And sharing it like a crazy person to my colleagues. Yeah. And this, and this is how we continued working on this. Fascinating. What has the response been? It, it depends on where the response comes from, really, because from most of the readers for for which we published, so we published in the in Le Monde, the French Daily, and then the Dutch Daily NRC, and also in the end in the Italian Internationale. There, there have been readers who are both surprised and and also very outraged or about that these kind of subversive lobbying tactics by the tobacco industry are still taking place and that they are still successful. But also there are a lot of genuine consumers of these new products who have been struggling to make their voices heard in the debate for quite some time and who also have a feeling that they are quite often more portrayed by the by the media as being a, either a very small group or basing their findings on, on bad science or being agents of the industry. And from these groups, we got quite a severe backlash of people being quite angry about these findings, which they saw as being yet another publication about them being seen as uh, industry puppets, basically. I've seen the same in France on my, on my side from organizations who really wanted to make clear to me as a journalist that they don't have any tobacco industry members in their professional organizations. And it's this is what's very interesting and also very complex you know, when you work on e-cigarette and the new these new electronic devices is that the debate is completely polluted by the fact that the tobacco industry has found a way to uh, make more money or not to lose any, and it is completely contaminating the, the, this market of electronic devices. If we ask the tobacco industry about this, what, what would they say? Would they deny completely that they are uh, involved in this kind of astroturfing? Would they accept that they are funding some of this consumer pressure action? I think they they acknowledge the funding, but they don't call it astroturfing themselves, of course. Sure, they, sure, of course. They see it as, uh, or they at least they speak of it as genuinely supporting the consumers that that have chosen to opt for the better alternative that they themselves provide. The industry is now very much interested in framing themselves as providing the solution to the global health crisis that they themselves caused. Much as the fossil fuel industry is increasingly presenting itself as the, providing the solutions to <laughs> the same crisis that they've caused. Well, different crisis, but similar idea. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. With one major difference is that in whatever form we will need energy and also in large quantities. And it's very different for a, a cancer causing product that, that only gets consumers hooked by making them addicted. That's right. Uh, it, the world will function without nicotine in our systems, but less so without energy. Yeah, good, good yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, cigarette is the most unnecessary product, maybe, that's on sale and generates so much revenue, I would say. I imagine big tobacco and big oil are pretty well lawyered up. Are you scared of any legal threats? 
from this investigation? This uh, investigation, not as of yet, not per se. And uh, well, knock on wood. Knock on wood. Yes, let's stay and let's hope it say it stays that way. We have been very open about our methodology and also about our fact finding and our burden of proof. So that that always helps. Any lawsuit will take up a large amount of time, even if you if you are confident that you have you know nothing to hide but uh, yeah if we've we wrote also together with stefan we wrote about also uh, scientists who are a part of this debate who have financial ties to to the industry scientists who sometimes even within the consumer group have a very high standing and over almost an, uh, like a sport who are like a sports hero to to the users of these consumers so we also have a very large following and we shed light on the both the quality of their science, but also about their financial ties. And we have been getting since then threats of legitation, but so far it has stayed to that. Let's hope it remains that way. On a sort of nuts and bolts question, this is a cross-border investigation involving journalists in the Netherlands, of course, France, of course, and the United States. What were the challenges of coordinating a cross-border project like this? Would you have any advice for others that are thinking of doing something similar or any lessons you learned or things you would do differently next time? I think I think I can say we were we are pretty. I don't know if it's luck or if we chose each other well, but it's been a very fruitful and happy collaboration. And since ever since we've met, I think what what makes us close in our in this fluid work relationship is that we all are knowledgeable on industry tactics and so we don't we are not discovering because it would take one year to understand fully what we have in front of us we're we are starting from the same starting point and i think that's that makes a, a big difference and then the fact is that we get along very well i would say it is or maybe yes. to say the opposite. I know. <laughs> Surely not. No, I'm very happy that aside from sharing research, I also get get to be a part of all your adventures with your cat and how the weather in Paris is doing. Yeah, and uh, with your with your dog. Yes. And our, and our holidays and these kind of things. We are wearing the same t-shirt too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like a rock band. I like the idea of being a rock band. We share we share our expertise, which which always helps. So every member can can provide valuable contributions to the group effort. And for the nuts and bolts, for us, it was the first time coordinating such a, an uh, investigation with this skill and also this time frame and hours to put in. And for me, it was just uh, an advice that I would give is designate one person who is the organizer of this project and also accept that there will go quite a lot of time into just coordinating and also reading everyone's work and it helps to have a designated driver, so to say. And and that that person also has to accept that maybe a little less time than he or she would hope would go to actual research because it's just important to, to have someone at the steering wheel keeping their eyes on a bit of the more long term. And also try to meet early in the research, just especially with a new team, just to keep get all eyes on the ball and in the same direction. It's of course now with the corona pandemic, it was more difficult to do that. Luckily, we knew each other from earlier research, but it's it's always helpful to actually meet one another, especially in a new team, just to get a feeling of this is us and, and this is what we are going to do. 
I agree that the editorial coordination is very important and you might think it's important only when you're above like 10 or 15 people or like for ICIJ projects 300. But it's also very important if you are, even if you're only three, it's a key role. And it, it has also this, it's a role where the person have to tell us researchers to stop because at some point <laughs> you have to stop researching. Otherwise you can write 10 books. And, and so it's, uh, yeah, I agree. It's a very important role and that, that Tease did excellently. Congratulations to, to both of you and of course to your fellow team members. Will we be seeing any f future collaborations with the same team? Yes, well, definitely. <laughs> Great. We already have uh, some some pots on the stove. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to see what's bubbling in those pots. <laughs> Thanks very much to to both of you, Thies Kaiser and Stefan Orel. And of course, listeners can see a summary of this investigation and links to all the stories on the IJ4EU website. That's ij4eu.net. So just go to the project section and look for the Vapor Trail. We'll be back soon with another inside look at the makings of a cross-border investigation in the public interest. Until then, take care and keep holding power to account. <laughs>